Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Eyes Without a Face, starring Pierre Brasseur, Edith Scobe, and Alita Vali. Based on the book by John Rendon, written by Georges Franju, Jean Rendon, Pierre Ballou, Thomas Nezirak, Claude Satet, and Pierre Gascar. A lot of screenwriters on this one. Mm. Uh, and directed by Georges Franju. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to start a new film review cask set all around the spooky season. And Matt and I are jet-setting. We have our passports. So we are getting ready to get off at our first destination here, st- stopping off in France with a little film from 1960. Let's talk a little bit about horror in the year 1960 as well, because I kind of forgot this one was part of that. Um, Eyes Without a Face. Uh, this is a perennial foreign horror entry, and from my research might be qualified as the first French horror film as well. Uh, I can't wait to talk about this. It's influenced not only the likes of something like Carpenter's Halloween, but so much of the French extreme horror that uh, would populate like High Tension and Mm -hmm. Inside and all those films from the early 2000s. But this is a first, and I know this is a a favorite of yours. Um, I'll let you know where I land on the spectrum as the episode goes on, but why did you pick this particular film? Because we almost never got it. Yeah. Uh, the backstory on this is is riddled with snobby French fascist beliefs insofar as we are not going to stoop to the levels of bringing our cinematic experience to this. Mm-hmm. And had it not been for some of the people that worked with Hitchcock on Vertigo, this maybe never sees the light of day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's a film that a lot of people have missed. And for as much as you and I like Slasher, yeah. clearly we can make the case that this has an influence in that. But I also really like this movie because as it's creepy, mm-hmm. it's creepy but artistic. Mm-hmm. And I like it. To, we go back to the Hunger episode. Yeah. I like a little bit of art in my horror films. Not so much that it becomes like the Hunger borders on almost sort of. Yeah. Too artsy. Kind, yeah, a yeah. little bit. It doesn't, but it gets there. Mm-hmm. It's a little too sapphic for its own good in some ways. <laughs> right. This and This isn't, but. It's an interesting concept that's rooted in essentially a dad's guilt Mm -hmm. and him trying to deal with that guilt as it relates to his daughter. And you know what? That gets back to something that's important for us on this show. Mm -hmm. Family. Well, family, yeah, for sure. And secondary, like a common thing that we all deal with. And then can you find good story there? Absolutely. So let's just kind of qualify. I think we're going to call this four-week cask passport to whore stamp the passport so let's uh let's kind of get this out of the way yeah can we qualify this as a horror film i'll I'll go first and you know i was telling you a few weeks back a few months back maybe and i think my horror needs to have a a monster whether human anthropomorphized uh extraterrestrial some sort of tangible beast yeah I think this film has it. As we get into dissecting this doctor and what he's doing, as you just kind of set up for us, I think this very much is a horror film and a fairly monstrous antagonist. And I love that that's who you went with because Christiane, the daughter that dons that emotionless mask, mm-hmm. the hall looks like she should be the monster. Ghastly. Ghastly. Yeah. But it's in fact her father. And we're back to another very common and 
likable and easily to use monster, Mm -hmm. which is the doctor who a little holier than thou. Sure. Excellent. Uh, Well, one thing I like to do on this podcast is, you know, we like to turn people on to this film if they haven't seen it. So it's fairly readily available. It's able to stream on HBO Max and the Criterion channel right now. So go check it out if you've never, never seen this one or listen to us, get shocked and then go back and check it out. The choice is yours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we're going to polish off the rest of this Rowan's Creek Kentucky bourbon whiskey here. This one was really good for us for our Godfather episodes. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we get Rowan's Creek, uh, Rowan's Creek on the plane to the next destination. We'll have to check it out. But let's go ahead and get started with our flight question. All right, as we're going to kind of get into uh, the film discussion today, it's going to be all around horror, but specifically body horror. What we're going to do to the body, change it over, try and recreate certain aspects, faces in this in this particular film. Uh, quite a pretty potent subgenre in horror. And we've done a few uh, in particular with Mr. Cronenberg. Uh, so the flight question for this week, pretty simple. Uh, top three favorite body horror films. And I gave you a rule, right? I limit you to one David Cronenberg because he could populate this entire ranking. <laughs> yes, but that doesn't include progeny of David Cronenberg. You no, know, it doesn't. Not just David himself. Which kicks us off with my number three, the progeny of David Cronenberg, and that's Possessor. Mm. Uh, that was that was a strange period in the podcast for you and I because we didn't have a lot of choices with film due to the shutdown. and Yeah. But we found a jewel there. Um there's still some images in that that I find in my mind, like I'm only having seen that film once I mm-hmm. can, you know, go back and watch it again and maybe revisit some of these beliefs. But in my mind, there's some very creepy images that we see with, uh, what's that gal's name? Um, oh, Andrea, Andrea Riseborough. Who's doing Amsterdam right now mm-hmm. with, uh, Bale yeah. and Margot Robbie. And the director is, uh, David or Russell. Boy, oh boy, oh, yeah. struggling this morning. David or Russell. <laughs> I got you. I got you. You do. <laughs> So it'd be good to see her again, but mm-hmm. she fit that really well. And I thought that was a great, great film mm-hmm. um, that snuck up. We had a couple in that period. Sorcerer was that mm-hmm. sort of in that way too. Yeah, it was yeah, finding some little gems that you hadn't seen, I hadn't seen. And yeah, Possessor was a great little little jewel. I'm glad you liked it as, as much as you did. Yeah, that husk mask that she's putting herself on, the visages that she's becoming to do mm-hmm. her nefarious job, right? That yep. Jennifer Jason Lee has her doing. Yeah, check out Possessor, and we got to be kind of on the lookout for Brandon's uh, next. next entry. I think it's still in development, but yeah, we'll we'll definitely check that one out. I think that was our Cronenberg cast, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, we did two paws and one son. That's right. <laughs> Good. That was, my, thanks. Thank you for that. My number three could it's definitely more labeled as a torture porn film, and what an interesting genre in the early two thousands, and we could do a whole thing on that, but. I think the original Saw can definitely be labeled as body horror as well. When you have a killer, Jigsaw, Tobin Bell, who doesn't do any killing, but rather has the victim put themselves through the torture, and then they just essentially tear themselves up to whether live or die, the choice is yours, Mm -hmm. is what he says. It affects the body. You're going to put your body through horrific treatment in order to survive if it's that important to you, or you can be here. You don't have to torture, but you'll die eventually. 
there's a morality tale at play there in that original Saw. And I credit James Wan and Lee Winnell for kind of coming up with a pretty great idea that got really exhausted as that series continued and it got grosser and more disgusting. But that first film is almost, almost bloodless. You know, there's the Carrie Alway's, you know, slicing of the... And we kind of need that, right? A movie called Saw, we want to see that. Mm -hmm. But I think the idea of what the killer puts the victims through, it fits the realm of body horror. But that's my number three. Good choice. That'd be a fun one to do, one, two, and three. I would love to talk about it, specifically the first one. Because I know we have really different opinions on that. But mm-hmm. what we wouldn't have different opinions on are the what-if pieces in there. And that's what's sure. really compelling to me. Mm-hmm. You can do this or this. Yeah. There's a price for both. Yeah. I ever told you, uh, me and my friends, uh, one time when we got like three big pizzas and we had a sauna night. And I think it was before the fifth one was coming out. So we were going to do one through four in one one sitting I got to tell you, when four was rolling around, I was just like, I can't take anymore. Like, mm. I just, I can't. It's just too much. It's yeah. too much just stuff on the screen. It was really starting to get to me a little bit. So I've seen all of one. I didn't see any of all of those except for pieces, which is the one where the, I think it's a woman, yeah. falls into the vat of hypodermics. Is that three? That's two. That's yeah. pretty brutal. Yeah. And yeah, that's one of the survivors of the original who's been thrust back into the game. And spoiler alert, what you find out is she's actually part of... He's one of Jigs- she's one of Jigsaw's prodigy. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, did you do I, the one with? I've uh, seen them all, Matt. I've seen the all, Chris Rock all Jigsaw. Seven. Yeah, I saw the Jigsaw. How was that? Oh no, that was one of the Spiral. So there you go, Spiral. One of the worst movies I've ever seen. Why is it called Spiral? Well, it's just it, it's like a copycat of like the Jigsaw, oh, but oh, my, it, it's it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. All right, what's your number two? Um, another film that we've done on the show before, actually from Mister Cronenberg himself. So this is actually Mister Goldblum. Working with Mr. Cronenberg in The Fly. Great choice. The artistic delivery of costuming and how great they make Goldblum look at each one of the stages of dehumanization, mm, I guess we nice. could say, yeah. is maybe second to none other than what I might roll out with number one insofar as special effects go for me in okay. cinema. It's just, it's just so well done. There's such a chemistry between him and Davis and Goldblum is expertly handled with Cronenberg because I think he can be a little bit of a handful on set. Um, kind of surprised they never did anything together again. It was kind of a one-and-done deal. Yeah, maybe that was choice from both of them. Maybe. But they did worked magic in that one. I'm with you. Yeah, all the, the stages of the Brundlefly de-escalation is whether can't cancer metaphors or AIDS or whatever you want to put in there. It, it, he just becomes more and more. Dis- and I love that, that line member when he's telling her, it's like, I had a dream of a man who dreamed he was a fly and loved it. And then at that point you realize this guy's gone, right? He's full animal at this point. Medicine cabinet full of all his body. Oh, uh, just the, the, the museum of Brundle. <laughs> Rough, but good. Didn't we say too, wasn't it? He's like, he's, his, his penis is in there too. Like gotta that, be that fell off at one point and it's in a jar there as well. <laughs> Jeez. Keep that thing, man. <laughs> I'm also going with the Cronenberg for number two, a film we have not done, but I've revisited this in weeks past, and there would be a ton to talk about in this film, and it's Videodrome with Mr. James Woods and Deborah Harry. Um, talk about a film that bastardizes sex as much as that film to the point where, you know, Max Wren's whole goal is to find the most extreme program he can, and now it's not even softcore Cinemax porn that he's looking for. They, they have to take it to the next level with violent extremist torture, uh, sadism. But it's all about like 
that transformation he goes through and that slit opening up in his body, the videotape, all that kind of stuff with media. It's just rife for discussion. But man, the body does some horrific things in that one. I've never seen that film. Really? I've never seen video. Oh, wow. That'd be a good raw rye watch. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't really comment other than I like, I don't really like, Debbie Harry, but mm-hmm. I do like James Wood, especially James Woods at and, that time. And you know what? She's actually pretty good in the movie, for, she, uh, acting wise. Like I never, I, I had never seen her like in a movie before. And the first time I saw it, I was like, "That's blonde, right?" <laughs> blonde. Yeah. So that's my number two. We'll put that one in the back pocket. Good. Uh, number one, I think this is the best body corruption art that's ever been done in film, and. I don't know if a lot of people categorize this as body horror because I think it can easily fall into almost single location and certain alien horror as well. Mm, yeah. But it's the thing. I have to go with that because it's just expertly handled from the dog to the hand face mask glove to watching your body betray you because it's no longer you and you don't even really know it. Um, and you don't even have control of it. I, I've often thought about the people that get assimilated and. I think they're just a husk, right? Yeah. A walking husk that's being operated by someone else. Ugh. Yeah, that's horrific. And then the, the prospects of trying to destroy something all the way down to the cellular level and how impossible that is to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to blow this alien up. Hey, dumbass, you just created 10 million more aliens. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Nothing more impactful than Wilford Brimley at his Apple One computer. <laughs> mm-hmm. How long until Earth is overrun by these things and it gives him something like 27,000 hours or something? It's like, it's possible that this could just destroy the world. And so, you know, he goes insane at that point, but he has a good point of like, this can't leave Antarctica. He does it too. And then if I'm not mistaken, I think the next thing we see is him put the end of the pencil by his mouth. Yeah. Because you're like, fucker, that was what you were using in the autopsy. I'll kill you. <laughs> I'll kill you. God. We'll do the thing when the, that'll be a legendary. Episode. Jesse, how have, how, we're saving it because we just know it's going to be so good. We're saving it up. Yeah. For an inevitable carpenter cast. Cause you know, we got big trouble in little China in there. We got some fog. They live, you know, we, we could do some carpenter diving as well. Mm, that'd be good. Yeah. Also my number one, uh, everything you just said, you know, I thought a lot about that too. And, you know, alien could very well be body horror, but I think that's more still stays as an alien extraterrestrial type of film. Whereas the thing just completely makes over the human visage and does some horrific things with it. The uh, defibrillator, chest cavity opening up, the people's heads splitting open, aren't they growing like arms and this? It's just out of control. And I love every second of it. My daughter's uh, taking an interest recently into horror. Mm-hmm. And she's always kind of had an interest mostly because we talk about it. And yeah. She's on the periphery, but wants to know when she's going to be old enough. And we have an important day coming soon because it's sure. her introduction into horror with Halloween. Yeah. But, you know, another one that I think doesn't challenge with some of the maybe sex that Halloween does for mm-hmm. her. And so we have to be kind of careful with that. But whatever, we'll, we'll figure our way through that. Yeah. Um, might be this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The it's, thing. It's, it's it's gory. Yeah. But yeah, there's definitely there's some stuff in there that you've never seen before, which will definitely be shocking. But no, I'm with you. It's it's another good avenue in. Yeah, uh, it's corrupter by the time she's twelve, Jesse. <laughs> Turn her into you <laughs> into into the whore fan. It's it's awesome. Let yeah. me uh, let me uh, just ask this because I was thinking about this recently too. 1982. Where does 82 rank in yearly cinema 
for you? I mean, there's 1999, 1939, 1989, 1994, but 82 had The Thing, E.T., Blade Runner, Wrath of Khan, Rocky III, First Blood Part Two, uh, and a bunch more that I'm forgetting. Like, 82 was cooking on something as well. 94 is probably number one for me. That's a good one. Well, you can make the argument that this is there. Mm-hmm. guys. Here's the thing on that too, Jesse. Like mm-hmm. that's another cast we should just do 1982. Yeah, just do the year. Yeah, because we've covered a bunch of those films you mentioned already, but there's still a ton left. That would be the time to do Wrath of Khan because I, I don't know if I want to do all the Star Trek right. movies, but I, that one for sure. For sure, we were hard on ET up until the moment we watched it. Yeah, and I, I totally changed my tune. And then we were like, "Wow, this is not as easily to break down. Like we we can't break this down with any sort of." less than snob bullshit. Yeah. Once we're in the middle of it, that movie wasn't terrible at all. Yeah. And we had taken oh, we were, many shots at that yeah. film up to the viewing. We were ready to go in guns blazing and far from that. That, that was a pretty remarkable episode to have that epiphany, I guess. <laughs> Cause we both, Oh, this is going to be rocket. Oh, maybe we should make a screwball grape soda and, and peanut butter liqueur. <laughs> sure, kind of, sure. Sure. And no, not at all. Not at all. To your list. To your list. To your body horror list. I think we got some ideas uh, for potential episodes to cover. Videodrome, Saw, for sure. The Thing. Well, yeah. Jesse takes this down the hatch. Uh, happy Cinema Day, everybody. National Cinema Day. This is Saturday, the um, National Cinema Day. So most places are doing everything for three bucks. Jesse and I kind of got a little bit of a head start on you all last night. Uh, you want to tell him? Yeah. Go ahead. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You want to tell him? Yeah. Tell him? yeah. Didn't go quiet. We got to see Jaws last night on the big screen. And I think for the first time released in 3D, which I thought 3D was kind of done and out the door. But it was kind of a new experience watching that film that you and I have to be in like the 70s watching that film. Yeah. Uh, I had a great time watching Mm -hmm. it. I didn't. The 3D wasn't distracting. If anything, it added like a whole nother layer of just kind of something else to look out for. Amazing. That that film never ceases to amaze me. Never. And I got to ask you, like, how is Robert Shaw... Not at least nominated, but doesn't win an Oscar for his performance. Like, that guy is electric. As cantankerous and ridiculous as he is, fantastic. You might say method because he was drunk the whole time in real life and on set. But (laughs) fighting with people and, Mm -hmm. yeah, he's great. That Indianapolis scene is just chilling. It's just, it's so good. And the way he kind of ends with just on a quippy, like, "Eh, anyway. He's he's so good in that scene about the Indianapolis that I would say... He rescues what is, I'm still trying to figure this out, Rich, wooden Richard Dreyfus for yeah, a little while. Sure, uh, He's not a deal breaker in the film. Please don't take it that way. Yeah. But we had a couple of chuckles with some of the, ha-ha, sign up to be a hot lunch. Like yeah. He's just so like weaselly schmarmy. Yeah, right? they're all going to die. They're yeah. all going to die. <laughs> yeah, he's just, but not in that scene. Yeah. He's stunned, like the rest of the audience. So that, good. So good. And that's impressive, too, because if you have this huge shark, huge shark, that is the selling point of this film that you've done a great job of keeping mostly hidden until about, what, an hour and 10 minutes in? A long time. Like, I think, you know, you get a little bit when Alex Kinter's getting devoured and a little bit mm-hmm. when that, I think that per- a pervert yeah. <laughs> in his boat is coming to talk to Martin Brody's uh, mm-hmm. son. Uh, not until he's chumming the shit. Mm-hmm. You see the shark, like, hour and 10, 20 minutes, maybe. So think about that, because... You finally get the reveal of the shark, and what everybody talks about is the scene about the Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. We delivered the bomb. Yeah, so good. 
to that. Yeah, great experience. I did a little bit of research too, and I guess that's the only way it's being released right now is in the 3D version. Really? Interesting. Which is ballsy for the Jaws franchise too, because Jaws 3D was a shit show. Yeah. And you know, the, um, three, that, that, that's okay. As long as Spielberg's not going in and adding like stuff to the movie like Lucas did with the Star Job Wars the stuff. Yeah, don't be, I, don't need, I don't need a CGI shark. The shark's just fine. Um, but let's go ahead and dive right into our view breakdown of Eyes Without a Face. Our film starts out in a fairly interesting way. We get this Maurice Jarre uh, soundtrack, almost carnival-esque. So it's almost playful. It almost like this film wants to welcome you in and let you know that it's not going to be as horrifying as it's truly going to become. But <laughs> Whimsical, it, which is so disarming. Ooh, good word. Yeah, and it shows up a few times and kind of in the stocking scenes a little bit later through the streets of Paris with a... Our um, secretary uh, friend. And did you recognize uh, th- this woman? She was in Suspiria. She played Miss Tanner, the kind of tyrannical uh, teacher at yeah. that school. Mm-hmm. So this must be one one of her early films as well. But here she is dumping a body on the side of the road, and we don't know why. We don't know what's going on in a trench coat. But I could have I could have sworn, you know, the way Franju uh, portrays the crimes and the stalking and the abductions and the dumping of bodies that this had to have been influenced by some real life person, real life serial killer. Yeah. And it isn't. I mean, there's such a commitment to making this feel like these people are in such control of what they're doing, the abduction and dumping of these bodies. What do you kind of think of that? That just kind of the, the opening of the film, but just that, that idea. I think it speaks to Franju's commitment. His first film prior to this was essentially watching children play with toys mm-hmm. as animals are being slaughtered, juxtaposed against each other. Yeah. A statement about let's not eat meat kind of a thing. Blood of the Beast, which I also watched in preparation for this. And I got to tell you, it's that movie, it's it's something else. <laughs> Making Morrissey proud every minute he, every minute of that film. Yeah. But um, if you guys don't know who Morrissey is, I'm not telling you, look it up. Yeah. It's the Smiths. Anyway, uh, I got to tell you, I'm very much a meat eater. Like, I would never want to be a vegetarian unless I had to for health reasons. But, like, every time I've seen Blood of the Beast at least three times, every time I finish it, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have a salad for lunch today. Yeah, can't help it, right? (laughs) Brutal, yeah. So, I think it brings up a couple of questions. And number one has to do, I think the overriding message in this film for you and I is beauty. And the second thing to talk about then is, is that in the eye of the beholder? And what is beauty? Is it skin deep or not? Here's the thing that strikes me the same way it does with Norman Bates as it does with, I think her name's Louise in this film, or Laurie, the actual, the, her first name. Okay. Um, she seems to be really good at it. Yeah. You know the steps to take. It's not your first time. And we're going to come to find out later that, in fact, it's not. And she has done this before. But it poses another really important question, Jesse. And that is, why would you continue to do that for someone? Yeah. Yeah, why do you feel so obligated? We're going to find out later in this film that, hey, we got to get this woman's name. It's Louise. Uh, Okay. Louise had some operation done to her to fix some grafts to her neck, and she's, I guess, felt internally grateful to Dr. Genesier, uh, for that, that she's agreed to help him in this very nefarious quest. Uh, yeah, that that's a stronghold over a human being. 
Um, but maybe it was that bad of an injury where she feels that much grateful. I don't know. But, yeah, she's loyal, but also really good at her job. And she's really good at the seduction piece of this going on a little bit later. Like I'm stealing it right from my mouth. Yeah, like the Black Widow catching its prey, right? I mean, she knows how Vampish. to get, yeah, get these women and, like, get them to come home. And, like, there's a moment later where uh, I'll get the names right. It's th- those are escaping me a little bit. But she's on uh, sitting in the chair and... Uh, she says, you can stay here at the house. And she's like, no, maybe I want to think about it. And it's like, it's too late. You're, you're, you're toast. Like, yeah. you're in the spider's den at this point. And it's it's her that's getting all these people there. It's, it's pretty crazy. She is indebted to him. Mm-hmm. And indebted to him at such a level that it either has to have some latent romantic, unrequited promise or... Some version of blackmail that if you don't, this happens. And either way, it puts her in a really weird position, which is anterior to his superior, Mm -hmm. but willingly anterior to where, to me, it borders almost on an S&M sort of type of relationship. Interesting. And we're going to get into some of that other stuff with masks and chains and tied up and lots of things that kind of play there. But that Louise character for me in this viewing was the most interesting character in this movie. She almost, she's in it enough, but I almost want a little bit more because Jesse is, I mean, if she's willing to go to all of these links for Dr. Genesee or whatever his name, and it looks, I don't know if it's a French word, Genesis, mm. maybe, yeah. I, may, I may be reaching there. I, I know no French at all. What are their needs of his? Is she meeting? It's 1960, and the French would never stoop so low to show sex on camera, but I don't doubt that at all. And what is that like yeah, between them? Exactly. Could, did you go there? Uh, I, I could Romantically go, involved? I could go there, but I don't know. They're, they're so almost cold to each other at times, too, that it's also hard to believe that they would have that type of relationship. But, but I don't put that past him for the very reason. He's so disconnected with everybody except his daughter. Yeah. And that, at times, I mean guilt yeah. right this is so far from the question you just asked me we're already doing yeah. large themes of the film here but i guess we're there yeah does it seem almost slightly incestuous to you a little bit yeah there's a few moments in the film where the way he's kind of touching her and kind of looking at her and viewing her is a little bit inappropriate uh but that guilt piece because the film does a good job of not showing us a few details and the audience has to actually kind of puzzle piece uh, some of these aspects together. We don't get to see this car accident uh, that is essentially the inciting incident that we never get to see. Mm -hmm. But what's your best guess, your best inclination of what happened that, you know, was there maybe some drunk driving involved possibly where he just drove this thing? That's where I would probably like to see that going to feel so guilty that you're willing to murder people to fix your daughter's face. Like it has to be something under the influence of some sort of narcotic guilt. Yeah, sure. I don't think that guy as calculated and measured as he is would go two miles over the speed limit, Mm -hmm. except if he was out of control. And that poses another question. Mm -hmm. Do we see him except for the end of this film ever truly out of control, even raise the level of his voice. No, no. I think he's fairly in control of the situation, of the abductions, of the operations. Like, he's he never gets rattled. Yeah, he's got a good firm grasp on what he wants to do and willing to go the lengths to hide it up and cover it up. 
If then we both... And the people believe him. The cops mm-hmm. believe him. He's able to just like, oh, yeah, that's that's my daughter there, so let's have a funeral for her. Right. <laughs> if then, and we both agree with that, yeah. that he's revered in this town is so important and measured and calculated, does this guy really speed unless he's totally out of control? Yeah, something, yeah there's, a, there's an X factor at play here that... What we're trying to assume what's going on, but yeah, you're right. He's not going to drive recklessly down the road like some speed demon. That's not his temperament. Think about antagonist and the theories or the motivating factors behind them, which is not like we've said a million times. Mm-hmm. I'm going to destroy this world and then rule over the rubble. Yeah. I'm going to make up for the sins that I spent or perpetuated on my daughter by correcting those sins by literally any means necessary. Mm-hmm. The question I think that really also matters is, does Christian care? Oh, if her face gets fixed or not? If if I probably probably not. My short answer would be no. I think she probably wants her freedom more than anything. I think the end of the movie would would argue yes to what you just said. Sure. So that also then borders on this sort of bound S and M latent. Character it's, that we see in the in the and if you're a if you're a doctor, oh, this is terrifying. Yeah, if you're a doctor and you control chemicals and you can put someone out cold for a period of time and you have proclivities that lean to the side of S and M. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, you have a very terrifying villain. Yeah, it's torturous without really being, you know, upfront about it. Right, it's more uh, emotional and psychological torture that he's sub- putting his daughter upon, and I guess that's that's where a lot of the horror comes out in this film. After this dumping of the body, we get to see him on the lecture circuit, and he's a very well-renowned physician and popular, and everyone's swooning over him, and all these old women, French women. Um, Which is also important. I can't. Let's talk about that, too. Okay, go ahead. If these old women are at this seminar that he's giving, and the seminar is basically the regenesis of skin, a.k.a. beauty. Yeah. yeah. Hanging on to beauty. Yeah. Yeah, he's the original plastic surgeon. Right. Yeah. I love that it's this theater filled with a bunch of aged women who are dying, literally, Mm -hmm. think about this. I mean it, dying to have him return them to their former state of self-perceived beauty. And he's sitting there before them saying, this technique, this technique, here's the medical advancements that I'm uh, playing with, blah, blah, blah. And these women in a stendral chamber. Yeah lost in his hypnotic words over vanity. Mm -hmm. It's what it is, Jesse. They're not into him and his science. They're into what he might possibly offer. And do you think that if any of them raised their hand, if he said, okay, I'd like to have a volunteer, would be any of those women not raise their hand and say, put me, put me, put me on the, on the table. Yeah, no. Yeah. They all want, they all want a piece. What's crazier about that is he's watching then these desperate women who have lost their beauty that he doesn't really give a damn about. Now compare that to his young daughter who has none of the issues that these women do except by his own perception is in an aged or uglier state than the women that are throwing themselves at (laughs) him to be fixed. Mm -hmm. Boy, that is loaded. It almost is the acknowledgments or condolences that he's receiving are taking his antagonist character and fueling it because he does not want his daughter to grow up ugly yeah. like these women because they are so ugly and vain. Yeah. And you know why she doesn't? And, and the reason she's like that is because he did it to her. Yeah. 
And that is loaded. You want to talk about understanding why a villain might do what they do? Here you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the motivation is is clear and complex and layered. And yeah. what, is there a, again, to be respectful here, is there a group of women that is more suited for keep me beautiful longer than what we think about French women? Sure. Doesn't it? To me, it's it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it fits, it fits the mold. Mold. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't see Italian women bitching about that or German women crying about that, but yeah. French women, for sure. Yeah. The vanity aspect. Uh, maybe that's in, that's what drew Franju to this particular project and, like, what he was able to kind of see in that in his own society. He was very much a man who was in tune with his own French society. If he was making something like Blood of the Beasts, and he made a lot of documentaries about Georges Méliès, who was a pioneer of cinema. Yep. I think he had an ear to the ground on like what these people were really like. What so. kind of let's do the let's do the other part of that. Mm-hmm. What kind of films did George A. Malise make? Yeah, yeah, just like just like Isn't that the fascist part of the the fascist filmmaking that he grew up with? Yeah, fantastical, over the top filmmaking, yeah. <sighs> so if he's telling a story about things that he believes believes in hard, mm-hmm. now he's really making a statement or commentary about society and beauty and particularly French beauty. Woof. So he does an interesting thing here where after this lecture, he's like, the police want to talk to you about something. They're like, you need to come down to the morgue and identify this body. We think it might be your daughter. So a couple things are taking place here, right? Since this accident, which I imagined might be fairly fresh in this household, a few months maybe, enough to recover from it, but then still want to keep things nice and hush-hush, he has kept the public in the dark about Christiane's whereabouts, right? They think she's missing. They don't know what's happened to her. So he kind of gets an out for that one and time on his hand where, yes, that's my daughter. It's her. She's dead. Let's have a funeral. But then the funeral gives him time to figure out how to graft a new face for her, right? Mm. Because now everyone thinks she's dead, including her fiance, who, which is his understudy, right? Mm-hmm. Fiance mm-hmm. or just boyfriend? I, whatever. It's I think either it, way. I, they might have said fiance. Uh, so he thinks his girl's dead. Christian's dead. The world thinks she's dead, but she's up here at the mansion. Just can't leave the house. She's sequestered up there, stuck in her room, possibly. I mean, they don't. Even, I get the idea. They don't even really like her wandering around the house. You know, stay in your quarters. That's pretty horrific, right? This doctor's willing to go to these lengths to lie about this to give you time to figure that out. And then what's what's the reveal going to be? She's just going to be a new person. Regardless. It's never going to be Christiana again if she comes out with a new face. Right. Uh, yeah, that's, that's loaded to me, mm-hmm. uh, the lengths that he's willing to go to. But it also shows just how monstrous he, he really is. Them at the funeral, him and Louise and the, the fiancé, just the idea of just holding a ceremonial thing where everyone's grieving, but like he really isn't. And he's the one who should be grieving the most. Yeah. Kind of twisted, kind of twisted. If this is a different genre of film, Mm -hmm. that might be a great beginning into what you can get away with. And you have a pretty amazing story about a relative that I think was passed for some time only to be found out some years later was still alive. Don't you? It wasn't years. It was a few weeks. So maybe, maybe about a month, but yeah, it was like a total twilight zone. So if it's a different genre film, fantasy, or maybe even drama or thriller, mm-hmm. um, Christian might really like that. Yeah. Not in this genre. Not in this one, though. No. I'm going to buy myself some time 
to remake my daughter to get as close to the life that she was leading prior to my accident that disfigured her. But she can never be her old person again. That is just so twisted and complex and hypocritical of what life is. For him, I don't think life exists without beauty. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think so many of the bodies that we see Louise discard at the beginning of this film are so easy for him to do it with because if they've been disfigured and that is then their face essentially stolen by him and used to put on his daughter, Mm -hmm. they can no longer be beautiful. So are they then not worth living? Cause that's what this funeral is saying, Jesse, this to me, I really do think in his mind, she's dead. Yeah. He's mourning the loss of what was his daughter insofar as her beauty's ruined. Yeah. This guy's a bastard. In reality, in, in his idea, Christian is dead. Right. Right. Because whatever's going to emerge if this is successful after multiple trials or not, it'll never be her again. But at least she has vanity. Mm. Yeah. So is the vanity then... Well, the, yeah, go ahead. A statement about what he thinks about himself and his medical abilities? Yeah. Or is it the guilt that's fueling him to fix his daughter? Because I'm with you. I don't really think he has the intentions of returning Christian to the life that once upon a time was. It's both. Damn. Look at this mansion he lives in. He lives in this clue mansion. Yeah. <laughs> this thing is exactly. just gigantic, ornate fixtures everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's multiple rooms. There's some weird, crazy operation basement, a dog kennel. Everything is so sharp in this movie. Yeah. And the black and white is also sharp. Uh, the, the black and white makes this movie. If this was in color, I don't think it would be as a, a, as impactful or as long-lasting on its on its legacy the whites, everything looks more ghastly in black and white here, especially once we're going to be introduced to Christiane here. Once she puts that mask on, oh my God, it's like a full-on phantom in this movie. We like black and white estates, don't we? Whether it's Xanadu or Mandalay or this mm-hmm. place, yeah. they play well in black and white. Yep. Uh, and so this is no different. The fit, like yeah, I love the word that you used, or- ornate. Mm-hmm. The sharp, ornate, gothic structured fixtures that decorate his house just feel like everything around every turn is sharp and angular. And when we get to the, what I think is the violent quintessential moment of this movie, and that's the removing of the face, which mm, yeah, Franju doesn't really let you get away on that one. He pretty much gives it to you. That thing's bloodless. I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. With the clips and the oh, man. gauze, everything in that seems to be very, very sharp. And if you live in a world where you are, like you said, the first plastic surgeon, and that's how you make a living, I guess decorating your house with sharp images and fixtures makes sense, but it creates this feeling like around any turn, there's another blade waiting for you. Mm, yeah. Whew. So we get Christiane's inter- introduction here, and she's just kind of listening to French tunes on the radio <laughs> here, like a face in a pillow, hasn't left the room in probably a couple days. Um, and the dad's like, okay, like, where's your, you need to put your mask on if you're going to be mm. fritzing around the house. Why? It's just them. I know. It must be so, I mean, we do get to see it a little bit later and it's quite horrific, yes. but like, again, to your ideas of the doctor and vanity and beauty is, yeah, if you're going to be parading around in front of us, even you need to have this mask that is beautiful of sorts but more horrific than probably what her actual face looks like. Man, I have nightmares about Christian's mask. This thing, I don't like human replicated faces on masks that are, it's just so, you can't quite put imagery on it. And I think that's, you know, 
what was one of Carpenter's strengths with Halloween was what they wrote in the script was a white featureless human mask. That's what she's wearing. Mm-hmm. Ghastly. Oh my God. It's just, and then the way Christian glides from scene to scene. Floating. Floating like a ghost. Like a ghost. She doesn't exist. I have something I want to run with for a minute. Okay. I, I have something too. You want to go first? Yeah, sure. Because this is going to take us in an area as well. What do you think of the mother? The absent mother whose portrait is done up on the walls with the doves, which is going to be the imagery that concludes us mm-hmm. with this film. But what do you make of all that? And what's your best guess on what happened there as well? God, it felt like Rebecca to me. A little bit. The ghost of what was. And you can never live up to what was. Mm -hmm. Which if his daughter, birthed by his wife, Mm -hmm. dead, looks like his wife, that also is a callback to, was she in the car when he wrecked and he killed her? I don't know if it's that or, I mean, this doctor's really (laughs) good with poisons and uh, knockout stuff that, like, if this woman got too old for him and beauty got deteriorated, it's time to trade up and... Louise was the trade-up, possibly? I don't know. (laughs) Okay, so that's the other thing that, right. Was the daughter wrecked in the car prior to that, and the closest face he could find was hers? Yeah. That was the first one to try? Ooh, that's pretty good. So there's this homage to her everywhere, and if the greatest homage he could paint would be using her face on Christian's to fix the damage that he caused in that auto accident, I guess we have a true madman on our hands. Oh, yeah. That's, we're, we're in evil territory at this really point. evil territory. But what I love about his character and the villainy that he portrays is it is so cold and stoic. He's just unmoved by all of it, but dogged in his pursuits in attaining what he thinks is beauty for Christian. That's why that scene that we were talking about a few minutes ago is so important. Mm-hmm. All these old kind of beat up yeah. French women. And I was just saying. Well, no, the film's going to juxtapose that uh, perfectly because the two women that they're going to show later in this film that are become the victims, the mm-hmm. stock and the face victims, they're two of the most beautiful Immaculate. women I've ever seen in film ever. Well, and so is Louise. Yeah. But what is on Louise's face that's hers and what isn't anymore? Yeah. So. Yeah, we're in some grim territory right now. You know, can we backtrack for just a second? Yeah, yeah. When he tells Christian, go put on your mask, yeah. think about what he says. I mean, that's where dads usually say that to their kids at some point when they're no longer little kids. Mm-hmm. When he says to her, go put on your mask, it's not go put on your dress or go put on your nightgown or go put on something that covers you a little bit more. It's go put on your mask, yeah. which is really creepy because it's almost like he's acknowledging the only thing that matters and she, she's built like a board, so it's not like this is some voluptuous creature running around bouncing about the house. This yeah. is not a film noir, yeah, no. books and broad. This is, you know, a board. But that's not, that's not the point. The point is, he's still not Who's troubled. still also beautiful when we do see her face. Beautiful. Fa- and I think this is the actual actress's face when yeah. we get to see the skin graft not take cold. Yeah. A beautiful woman. <laughs> yeah. He cares about her not revealing her beauty because it's too telling. Mm. About what, though? Is it a constant reminder to him that sooner or later we all end up like the women in or the theater? A reminder of his fuck up? Oof. Yeah. All of these things that this guy's trying to avoid by fixion by fixing Christian's face, I think are just a reflection of his inadequacies. Yeah. 
Matt, this is why I love horror so much. Is just like we have these. What are we even talking about right now? We have these amazing conversations about stuff that, like, scenes that aren't even in the movie, ideas that like aren't expli- mm-hmm. explicitly told to us, and then like when we see Thor: Love and Thunder, we're just like struggling to like make sense of whatever the hell's going on. It's just like this genre, just on another level psychologically, is just unreal. I love it so much. Well, we try to have them with Thor, but then we get like <laughs> then we get the god of thunder imbuing a bunch of children with the power oh, of fucking lightning. Don't remind me. <laughs> don't remind me. But you know, it's right. It's, it's something about this genre. Just whether that was the intention of the filmmaker or whatever, that's what the viewer sees. Is there's layers to these films that are just ripe for the taking, and it's just I don't think another film genre offers that action. You know, film noir is close. Yeah. Western's pretty close as well. Science fiction a little bit, but man, I think horror's got all of them beat. Yeah, I do. I agree. Yeah. The things you can just write and say about some of these things is, and we're, we're 30 minutes into this movie here, but uh, no, I'm with you. This is all fairly ghastly territory. And as Louise is about to stock, uh, let me, I'll pull up uh, her, name, her name now real quick. And it is uh, her uh, fiance Jacques because she keeps calling him on the phone. Mm. She just wants to hear his voice, and then she just hangs up. She's like crank calling him, and that guy on the other end's like, "Who is this? Speak to me! Like, like say something!" And then later she actually says Jacques, and then he like he knows instantly. It's like that's Christian, and so then that becomes a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the manipulation that he's having to do. So Edna Gruber, she's this Swiss girl that's, I guess, visiting France, doesn't really have a place to live, but she fits the mold, right? Yep. Close enough to looking to what my daughter did, but absolutely breathtakingly gorgeous. And so she becomes the mark, right? So Louise goes through this whole rigmarole, and I have an extra ticket to this exhibit. I'm, I'm by myself. I see you're alone, too. And then through their conversation, she's like, I, I know a place where you can live. The boarding, it's all very cheap. I can take you over there so we can see it. And she's so homely and warm about the way she's presenting this information that these women are just like, yeah, sure. Why not? That sounds pretty good. We weren't so wise back then. I mean, people would hitchhike and get murdered across the United States back in the day. And, you know, we didn't have that kind of red flag inclination that we maybe have a better hold of now, but... Once they get her to the house and they start, she just kind of sees the thing and they they almost like trap her instantly. They like lock the door, they give her a drink. It's like, ah, that's kind of sketchy. And when she sits down and they want her to commit tonight, right? Mm -hmm. It won't be available tomorrow. You must, if you're going to do it, you got to do it now. She's like, this is, this is bad news and I need to get out of here. And it's too late. He's chloroforming her like that next second. Yep. What do you think of that, like, just stalking? Because the, the slasher film is all about the stalking, the POV uh, point of view of the killer and his victim. Um, and this has got that as well in, in that very kind of classic film noir, femme fatale, uh, you know, Louise is, is kind of fitting. To me, it's weird. It, it it plays in around in, like, a sort of swinger couple space a little bit, too. It's like, we bring <laughs> yeah. you home and... Let's give you a drink, and we yes. got something, but you got to commit to it tonight. And oh man, that's yeah. And I think the Louise character is really interesting because I think it's worked. Like we see it with this gal, which is my arm over your shoulder, and hey, I'm gonna buddy up with you, and I can be your friend, and you might be wayward, and I'm just a friendly, good natured human. Yeah. But because I think Louise looks the way that she looks, how many times have it gone the other way where it's there's the person sitting at the bar, and it's let me buy you a drink, and his drink gets passed her, maybe her finger you know, touches the palm of the other woman's hand. And there's like this vampish 
utilitarian way about Louise that's yeah. also really scary, but fits because her mask, and I'm saying that that's the face that Dr. G gave her, yeah. <laughs> allows her to be this chameleon. Look, Jesse, I mean, it's a statement on this. If if Louise is ugly, if Louise is Shelley Winters and Lolita. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Same kind of time. It's close to the same period. And right? it's also less uh, less trustworthy, right? French director as well. Mm-hmm. Right? She's not going to go with her. But because Louise is beautiful, she's able to get away with a lot of things that I don't think most people would be able to get away with. Mm-hmm. Hey, I know you're just off the street and I have a museum ticket. And why don't you come home with me? And like, It's a little bit too much. I, I, the museum ticket, great. Yeah, maybe I'll have lunch with you afterwards, but you know, I'm going to kind of stop there. But because Louise is becoming enough, people buy it. But is she becoming enough because she's just another blade or another tool for Dr. G? And the answer is yes. The manipulation that this man is engaged in through the use of beauty is such a fascinating concept to me. And the admission and the denial of all things beauty in his life also is stunningly interesting because he's as complex and as hypocritical about it as you can be. As he's admitting, think about what I'm about to say here. You can get away with murder if you're beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. He's almost living by that code and in a sense, dying by that code too. I I think it's a great performance by Alita Vali Mm because she's so homely and welcoming. And then you take what she does in Suspirio and it's just the exact opposite of homely and welcoming. It's like the worst teacher you would ever want at a school. Yeah. Pretty good. It's pretty good across the board here. But once they get her here, it's, you know, it's lights out and then under the knife. But we get a few things before the surgery scene, which, oh my God. What do you make of all the dogs here in the kennel? He's not a doggy doc. He's doing stuff with skin and stuff. So what is he doing with the, he's got one on the slab at one point doing something to it but he's got like 20 dogs deep in there like is he experimenting like i don't know what he is the noise to cover up the screams oh, like i hadn't thought about that maybe uh, uh, oh, what, what's your kind of guess besides uh, that maybe i think they're german shepherds yeah so watchdog sure i just think it presents a lot of skin that he can use to practice his grafting on oh that's gruesome which yes yeah, is gruesome yeah um no it is it is puzzling i I don't even really think he likes them, and I don't think the dogs really care for him either. So oh, it's no. not like he has this this pack that are all his pets. But they love Christiane. Boy, don't they. Yeah. She's able to go and, like, she almost, like, makes out with one of them, it looks like. Mm-hmm. But they're, like, it's, like, nuzzling her face. And it's a statement about the film, right? The dogs don't care about beauty. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. At this primal state that they've been reduced to, yeah. they are the true tellers of what is true or real. And they're going to pay the doc back for all of his misgivings later. But um, Christian walks in looking as ghastly as she possibly can, floating in, as you said earlier. And these dogs don't seem to mind. Meanwhile, the preambulatory doc who's moving the way a normal human would walks in and the dog's anxiety level goes through the roof the minute they see him. And what does he do? I think he feeds them. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very interesting relationship that we see played out with how the dogs treat Christian and how they treat the dogs. I want to read something here with Franju, what he said about the movie when he got it. Uh, he, he said he felt the film wasn't a horror film. Rather, he described his vision as one of anguish, a quieter mood than horror, more internal, more penetrating. 
it's horror and homeopathic doses, mm. which is, I think, fairly fascinating. Yeah. But then this is interesting as well. So Franju was cautioned not to show too much blood because that would upset the French censors. Right. Refrain from showing animals getting tortured because that would upset the, the English, English censors. censors. Yep. And you can't show any mad scientist characters because that's going to piss off the Germans. The Germans. What the hell, man? It's just like, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So what type of movie can you make? And somehow he's able to toy the lines with all of that stuff kind of in here, but subdued. And that makes it better, right? The, For you and me, it does. Yeah. Whether it's sex or murder or violence, sometimes what's not seen is better than what is seen. I think, you, I think in this film specifically, I think it works to its advantage. To that, I agree. Yeah. And so his kind of rules of having to navigate the censors because we just won't show your movie if this is in there. Mm-hmm. It kind of works out for him. This scene when yeah, Christian goes to see the dogs and then she takes her mask off and walks up to this the the uh, to Edna here and she wakes up from her chloroform uh, haze and it's still hazy and she sees like like what her face is. It's pretty ghastly and she screams and has a freak out moment but it's like the one time we get to see her without the mask and it's kind of a hazy visage of of what herself is i think visage visage is the french word for for face mm-hmm. so do we get the scene now i think this is the, the scene of the movie which is this operation of the face because they go through meticulous detail of you know, drawing out the outlines of the face where we're going to make the cuts around the eyes, which I don't know how the hell he did that. Uh, and, you know, getting everything kind of neat and orderly. I got to tell you, dude, uh, Genesiad is, he's sweating like Ted Stryker in an airplane. I mean, he's so nervous because <laughs> yeah. if he botches this, it's like, oh man, we got to go get another one, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think he wants us to be the last one because I think at the end of the day, I don't think he likes murdering all these women and having to do this horrific surgery to them, but he's willing to do it. Franju shows this thing in excruciating detail. The the scalpel slices underneath the, the face to the forehead. They don't show the eye, eyes, which is, again, I want to know how that was pulled off. But then the moment when they... Demasking. They demask the face, and then they do a zoom in before it fades to black of just this, like, Flesh husk? Yeah. Ooh. What do you think of that? I mean, for 1960, in the same year as Psycho and Peeping Tom, and Psycho is mm-hmm. another film that's really doing a lot of imp, uh, implicating of the violence that's really at play here, This, I think this film has both of those beat. Hands down. Yeah. With mostly bloodless. There's a little bit of blood around, like, his, his hands, and there's, like, some smattering. Yeah, going down the neck a little bit, yeah. Uh, and that was, like you said, done on purpose so they wouldn't, you know, upset the French too much. But uh, it's great because about the time you're looking for the exit because it's just too real is about the time Franju doesn't let you find the exit because it's interesting like a train wreck in slow motion. Mm -hmm. When you see the carnage, it's going to be brutal, but you can't believe that there's that much collision that's happening. So play that out however you want to with the metaphor of the space finger. Yeah, I don't know how you can not look at it while it's taking place. Right. It's it's horrific and ghastly, and you're just like, oh, like for 1960 even, it's still very effective. But you can't look away. You just got to see this guy pull this face off this girl's face. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. Crazy. And then they cut to black. They come back, and, you know, we pick up with Edna a little bit, a little bit later, and she's kind of getting out of her haze, and they're still trying. I, you know, I thought it was interesting that they didn't, like, because they need the tissue to still be living, right? They can't just, like, extract dead flesh. So, ugh. 
what do you think? Do the, the body at the beginning, do you think that they killed her or did this happen again where this person escaped and they killed themselves? But this woman's going to try and get out of this house of horrors and her mask is ghastly. This bandage gauze thing is kind of horrific in its own right. And then I think to her own, just, I guess her own benefit because, you know, what's this girl going to live like that? Yeah, what's that girl going to look like after she removes those bandages? That's awful. The effect infection, mm. but she falls out of the second story window and kill and dies from 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 the fall. Like smashes her head open. Yeah. It's it's trying to escape horror, but it's almost a better uh, situation than living. I think. Yeah. It's, are you sure she falls? <laughs> so I've often wondered if she maybe killed herself. Because what the hell is? I kind of wonder that too. Yeah. I, who could blame her? <laughs> Not to mention how you look, but just the f- amount of physical pain that you would be in. Oh, yeah. Your pain would be... Yeah, the, I doubt that they gave, like, painkillers. I doubt it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think she's just finding herself in the same situation that a lot of these discarded bodies have found themselves in as well. How many deep do you think we're in at this point? Because the, the police are privy to something going on, right? I think we are 20-ish. That's a lot. It's a lot of trial and error. Of missed graphs, man. Yeah. I might not go, I might go like 10, but that's still a big number. <laughs> and you wonder with him why the graph doesn't take place. Is the graph in the film not taking place because his science is not up to par or capable of pulling off that feat? I just or don't is, think it's fucking possible. <laughs> or, yeah. Or is the film making a statement that this is also ugly skin deep? Yeah. I kind of like the second one because it just sort of fits with the narrative I see about the film. But regardless, no, it's impossible. I think think there's denial there, right? Yeah. I think he keeps trying. He's like, yeah, I'll get it this time. And then it falls apart. Yeah, I'll get it this time. Because he doesn't want to admit his own own sins that he's done. What happens if one of the graphs he gives Christian takes? What happens? Then what does he do? Does he stop this? Or does he go back to that auditorium filled of all those ugly French women? And continue the process of finding them a new face. I can give you a new face. I just have to kill someone first. Yeah. Because I think you're right. Like watching him. I, I don't know if he loves murdering these people. No. It, it kind of seems. It's fairly laborious for him. And it doesn't seem like a good time for him. Yeah. I think he stops. And now he's an even more famous <laughs> plastic surgeon. Right. Yeah. But it, yeah, he can't really show. Off his creation. Right. Yeah. Because she's dead. Yeah. So he's painted himself into this corner. So are we going to, and I don't, I don't believe this, but I'll just say it. Are we going to go so far to say that he is magnanimous enough to just want to do right by his daughter and then leave it alone? No. I don't think so either. Mm-mm. So it's puzzling where the end goes if this takes on Christian. He reintroduces her to society in this great big hoax. Yeah, I wonder, yeah, it. what is it? Is this like the end of Capricorn 1 where like the supposed dead astronauts come back? Like what kind of, like what is the future of this? Because even though he lives in the state, he doesn't flaunt his wealth. No. He doesn't strike me as, um, you know, a climber like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. But that's the goal. That is the goal, right? Yeah, it's the goal is to give her a new face and then I can go on doing my things and now I know a new way to do it, right? Does he think if he gives her this new face and all of her old life is no longer there and he lets her venture out into the world, she's just going to keep it quiet and not say anything? I just don't know where he goes. Probably not. I mean, how would you not whistleblow on your dad for keeping you locked up for months? 
Well, he killed all these women that you are aware of. I don't know. Goes with that statement that Franju said about the film too. It's horror with doses of um, homeopathic, whatever that was. Is the homeopathic piece he's referring to with Doctor G? The forgiveness that he hopes his daughter's going to give him when he fixes her face, or is it above all else? My science can see me through the darkest day. Maybe it's, he's a loaded character, isn't yeah, he? A grim, grim character. Yeah. Even though with the best intentions of yeah admirable to want to fix your daughter's face after mangling it by your own devices. Mm -hmm. The methods you're using are absolutely monstrous because then they go about, they go hide Edna's body in the crypt in the G family crypt where no one's going to look right. I mean, there's probably there's, this is the first body there because they just had the fresh funeral, but mm -hmm. he's probably like, I could go put 10 more in there if I need to. But he wants this to be it. I think he's like, I think that's why he's sweating so much, right? Because mm. he wants to get it right. He wants this to be the last one. And for a while, it looks like, yeah, this is good. We get to see Christian come and beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. Come in and it looks like they're having like a normal breakfast, very domesticated for like the first time in like forever, right? Yeah. She and, seems happy. <clears throat> yeah. And she seems like, yeah, this, this could be okay. And then the... Mm -hmm. part of the film that I've always, I've never forgotten. Like there's some elements of this film that I've have to come back to, to remind myself. I've never forgotten. This is when he walks up and sees like the discoloration. He's like, Oh, oh like what's going on here. And then for whatever reason, Fran Jude decides to go in very documentarian style to still photography, yeah. time-lapse of the next couple days and what's happening. That is the most horrific part of the movie to me. And the last one is a sad woman uh, that is all deteriorated. I mean, she may as well be there without the face again. It feels very clinical, doesn't it? Yeah. Oof. That's hard to watch this clinical analysis in a very stoic voiceover narrated form about a woman that we've tried to grow and care a relationship with. And then, like you just said, the final image is this very dour, sad, which of course it is because it means Christian's going back to the mask and then the drawing board ultimately to do that in this cold way is again, like this sharp scalpel that this film continues to jab you with. Mm -hmm. She's down. This sucks, but let me just give you this. It didn't take. And the did, 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 like very medically inclined. Yeah. Why, why still photography? Like, and just like that made it more frightening than just showing it like with live camera and then time-lapse into another new shot, a series of shots. I think that removes some of the um, suspense of uh, disbelief from it too. If you present it in a documentary way that's a medical analysis, it just feels factual. More, more sterile, yeah. Sterile, yeah. yeah. Or not, yeah, sterile and, and rotting. I don't know what it is, but I've never forgotten that. Yeah, me That's either. the one part that always stuck with me with this film, mm -hmm. and it's... It's probably my oh my god moment of the of the movie, yeah. or maybe my ta my tasting or no whatever. Um, so she does call her fiance Jacques again, and she speaks to him on the phone, and he's like, "Oh my god, like my fiance is still alive. What's going on?" So he goes to the cops, right? And these cops are already trying to do their own investigation of all these missing, similar, similarly built women, and they have another one uh, in their stead at this point paulette who fits the mold and she's about to like she was doing some just petty shoplifting and they're really trying to put the scare in her i think 
but I think they see an opportunity there to set up a sting of sorts with her uh, to moonlight as this person and stay at the clinic. Let's see if we can get him to take the bait. And sure enough, he does, right? Because this woman's more beautiful than the last one. Yeah. (laughs) And what are we going to do with this afterwards? So she stays at the clinic. She gets the clean bill of health. They kind of see nothing's really wrong with her. But you see Dr. G's like, oh, yeah, like, this is the face that I'm going to give my daughter. And so when she gets released from the clinic, there's Louise to give her a ride home. It's, oh, it's too, too nice, right? And I love Fran Ju's just economic filmmaking. Instead of going through the whole rigmarole of seducing at the house and take them there, we literally cut to black, and then she's in the operating chair with the the, the outline ready to go, right? Yeah. I, I, I like that. I mean, it's it's horrific by all means, but it's so efficient the way he's able to just piece all that together. Efficient, right? And it's like a 104-minute movie? Uh, I think an hour and 30. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. In and out quick. Mm-hmm. Works really good. Yeah, it's in and out, knows what it wants to do. Um, yeah, that's I, just like you said, that's effective and efficient editing. Yeah. Cut to the chase. Mm-hmm. We know where this is going. We get it. We saw the surgery. We've seen the bodies. We know what's going on. Let's go. Let's get to the next one here because yeah. this is just one after another. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, man, this is going to happen again to this girl. And she's saved by the investigating police that want to talk to the doctor. So he's like, oh, gosh, we got to pause the whole procedure and the operation. And like a guardian angel, here comes Christian to... Save and of course this woman's horrified because of this ghastly, freakish mask. Yeah. Uh, but she say she cuts her bindings and wants her to get out of here. And I kind of like you know so Louise comes and is gonna disrupt all this. What are you doing, Christian? What, what what are you doing? And she stabs her in the throat, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where the opera her graft was. It was the, the pearl choker was hiding that the whole time. Eesh. I mean. That's kind of, I guess, how you want her to go out, but it's just like it's just like a stab to the throat, right? The look on her face is such betrayal. I can't believe you would do that to me. Mm-hmm. Just shocked. Yeah, what's Louise supposed to be to her? Some sort of like weird stepmother? <laughs> kind of feels like that. I don't know. Right. Louise should be watching out because once Christiane has a new face, it's like she's going to be like the supreme like beauty in the household, and now she's not so beautiful anymore, right? Well, the other thing that <laughs> I always thought about with Louise is as Dr. G keeps to run out of faces and her graft works... How long is it before her face gets her used? face gets used? Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's true horror. Yeah. So thankfully, Paulette's able to skirt out of here before things hit the fan and the police, these gumshoes, <laughs> have no idea what they're doing and can't see. Or Dr. G is just that good about getting the police off his trail, right? Right. Because this is the second time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my daughter. She's dead. Let's have a funeral. And here's like, nah, I don't know what's going on. Like, leave my estate here mm-hmm. so there's no reason to question the good doctor but christian has let all the dogs out of the the kennel here and man they go to town on this on this doctor when he comes back he's like what's going on here and they could have killed him in any number of ways they could have like ripped his penis off they could have just like sliced up his neck it's his face right yeah. they just figured this man do you wonder if when he feeds them he feeds them human Ugh. Possibly. We see her disposing the bodies. So, I mean, there is a plausible deniability that they're just getting rid of the bodies in some total. Yeah. But I've often thought that. The way they go after him, certainly it's his face. Like, of course they're going to attack his face. They hate something about this guy. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. 
They well, he gets devour it, him. He gets it good. I mean, it's it's a good mauling. It's a good dog. It's mauling. a good mauling indeed. <laughs> and then we get Oof, this part. Yeah, the callback to again this ornate painting of her mother with these doves, which whatever the hell that means. Christian leaving the estate for the first time in who knows when, right? Free freedom with the doves and they're flying and the dogs are all leased. And I, 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 you can see her feet move, but she may as well not be moving the feet. She may as well just be like floating across the floor, haunting beautifully. So, cause you should be celebrating Christian's exit from this hell she's been in. Yeah. But that, this moment to me, this is my, Oh my God moment. Okay. And it still is the first time I saw that, the follicles on my skin stood straight up for mm. about 30 minutes. I could not get out of my head. I was so taken aback by how this looks. She is so unnatural. The way her body's semi-contorted and this array of birds that are circulating about her and then descend upon her. You almost feel like it's angelic, mm-hmm. but I don't know what state Christiane is in in this point. And now she's murdered somebody herself. So I don't think that's a positive meaning well creature that has been now released upon the earth. Yeah. Well, she's been manipulated. She's been brainwashed a little bit. It seems like, uh, Ugh. psychologically Ugh. abused. Yeah. So yeah, she's going to go see Jacques and Jacques's going to like shit his pants. <laughs> like, you think? Yeah. He's going to have a heart attack at his doorstep as he sees this person show up there. Like, yeah, the future of Christian in society, I'm not willing to bet on that. No way. Mm-mm. No way. The movie ends right there, right? That's it. Fade out. Oh, yeah. Great ending. It's just, you know, you want to see the freedom. You want to see her released from this tyrannical, horrific thing that's taking place at this household. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, man, the way everyone's disposed of, Paulette getting let out, it's just, it's a very satisfying ending for this story, I think. I agree. You don't need, you don't need, we don't need to see the scene of her going to visit her fiance, right? Like, no. it's not, net, or the police to come investigate and be like, oh, this is, some Hitchcock would be forced to do some ending like that, right? And it's like, oh yeah, there's an, it was mother who did this, thing, right? She was a transvestite. Yeah, we don't need to have that scene in this movie. So I guess maybe the French were a little more open to just like this type of ending, right? Whereas like Hollywood was just like, no, you need to like, we need a bow. We need to wrap it up a bit and like make things make sense. And here it's left a lot to interpretation. Well, because there really isn't any story. Everybody knows what it's going to be for Christian, whether. It's insanity or loneliness. It's not pretty. Yeah. Which goes kind of to the whole film. It's not pretty. Yeah. It's good stuff. It's good. Yeah. A lot to, lot to dissect, a lot to dive in with there. Um, yet the movie, when it came out, was fairly mixed reviews. They didn't kind of really get it. And Franju was kind of a part of helping the French kind of like stately like theater cinema movement. Uh, and it's a place where they go and they keep the archives and they show movies there. So for like the 50th anniversary of that place, I think it's called Cinematheque uh, uh, French in English is what it would be. They re-showed this movie for that thing's 50th anniversary, and it was like, wait a minute, this movie's actually pretty good. And it got a kind of a reappraisal, and when you look on Rotten Tomatoes, I think it has like a 98%. Who's that one person that maybe didn't understand the movie, I guess? Hate subtitles. Yeah, oh yeah, gosh, yeah. Don't get me started on that shit. Um, but yeah, I think it's had a good critical reappraisal. And, you know, Carpenter's spoken about its influence on Michael Myers and that, you know, just shapely visage of, you know, they call Myers the shape, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's just like, that's not even like a human. Right. <laughs> it's a thing. Uh, it's an, an, 
an object. And I think it, it has a better, you know, perception now than it did back when it came out. It was probably a little bit too shocking for people. And I think when it came out in the U.S., it was heavily edited. And I think it was called the... Let me read it, because it had a ridiculously stupid American title. Mm. Uh, hang on. Father Knows Best. No, 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 no. Uh, hang on, I got to pull up the release. Well, he's looking that up. It's it's. A- little surprising to me that it was received the way that it was but it fell into the same trap that the people that worked on it did so there's ties to this film from a group that worked on diabolique Mm -hmm. and there's ties to this film from a group that worked on vertigo too and i think both of those films upon initial viewing were a little bit mixed and then some years later are both re re reevaluated like that's actually a masterpiece this is the same way the Horror Chamber of Dr. Faustus. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, what the hell is that? that, that yeah. There's no Dr. Faustus in this movie. Who the hell's Dr. Faustus? Or should you want to call him Caligari? Yeah. We're going to oh, use God, that. Oh, God, that's a horrible title. So, yeah, of course, that's going to... And that's good. That, that, that reads like schlock horror uh, uh, American B science fiction movie. Yeah. That, that would just get, like, thrown away by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Something with eyes out of the face actually has some, like, clout to it, it feels like. With the reappraisal of films, I think it's just... I think that's an important part of film analysis that I think gets discredited sometimes because it looked like a film like The Thing. Bomb when it came out. Yep. And we just, it was our number one on this week's entry, right? Seeing its praises. So looking back at it now, all of the criticism, you just roll your eyes and say, God, you couldn't have been wronger yeah. about this film. Yeah. But maybe, and maybe things are, people are just aren't ready for something, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, this might be just like the French were just not ready for a movie like this. Yeah. Well. That like attack them so deeply, right? Mm-hmm. Their vanity and their beauty and how they how they view themselves. That's right. So for the next couple months, instead of doing tasting note, favorite tasting note, give me your favorite kill of Eyes Without a Face. I think it's the dogs devouring Dr. G. Uh, and namely because any devouring of do- by dogs would be terrible. But that it starts at the face and then works its ways. It works its way down is so appropriate for this movie. And there, that was the actor too. Like he had like at one point like a German Shepherd like on his arm. Get so, the handlers in quickly. Yeah, get. get we're shooting this scene once. So yeah, get it right. Ten seconds. You get ten seconds of this thing on my arm, and then we're moving on. Mm-hmm. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. And then when they, they do like the cutback, the like close up of like his like face and like his like eyes hanging off and like the face is this left side. He looks like Two Face. Yeah. Butchers. Yeah, he's got a good one. Oh, I, I think I got to go with Edna's suicide accidental fall, mm-hmm. just because I don't know which one, and I think that's the only way out for her character. I think it's called an accidental. Yeah. Imagine the trauma that woman's gonna have if she did survive. You know, the the amount of therapy you would need to yeah, some guy that weird doctor just like cut my whole face off. <laughs> Is the human body capable of? producing new skin for the entire face. I don't think it's possible. It's a big scar. Ugh. That's oh, you look like a burn victim probably. And then the gauze like on the open wounds too is just rife for infection. Yeah. And painful. I don't blame her. Yeah, that's hideous. Hard to watch. Yeah. What's the Oh my god moment of the movie? I said earlier it's Christiane in the forest as the birds descend upon her and she's venturing off to wherever she's going. It's ghastly watching this spectral figure float across the lawn in what should be a celebratory moment. And with the white birds, it feels like it should be a celebratory moment. Yeah. But at a scene that is probably John the most- John Woo must have liked this movie, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And a scene that is the most illuminated in the whole film, it's also the darkest for me as well. Interesting. It is grim. Ooh, that part. She is so spooky looking. The whole film, but especially in this. What's she going to do with those birds? What kind of solace do those birds offer her? I don't know. God, and does she want to be her mother? What the? Yeah, exactly. I want Eyes Without a Face too. To answer some of our questions. Mm -hmm. Mine's this uh, still photography skin breakdown. It's just why of all the, the, there's no other still photography in this movie, but that moment they decided to do this aspect and break down the, the human face like that. Uh, just that scent chills up my skin. I was just thinking about that for, for weeks on end after that. And so whenever it comes up, I'm always waiting for that moment of like, Oh gosh, is this going to like really get to me? It's like, yeah, every time it's just like something about Genesee's voiceover, as he's nonchalantly talking about how the skin's not accepting its new form. As his daughter goes from happy to just like sad. Just like, she looks like she's going to cry in the last photo. Yes, she does. Oh man. Who's the master distiller on eyes without a face? Uh, I think it's Franju Cause he's all the way in. And with the three uh, regulatory groups that he couldn't piss off in a movie that's designed to piss off those three groups. Cause that's just the nature of the content. He pulled it off and praise God that we actually got this film. Absolutely. That's yeah. why I said at the beginning, we almost didn't get this film. Mm-hmm. Even if after it was finished and we didn't do to piss off the Germans and didn't do X to piss off the French and didn't do X to piss off the English. It still was barely across the finish line. Yeah. All those screenwriters I mentioned. Yeah. 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 And cinematically released, um, barely. But uh, thank God it found a foothold, and thank God we got it because it's a masterpiece of horror that was so influential into so much American cinema. It's hard to recount. Yeah, we might want to read the book that it's based on. That might be a good read. Yeah. Might be some stuff in there that didn't make it that might allude to some questions we have. When if this movie's never made, Jesse, we never get a great song by Billy Idol. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yes, this song is inspired by the film, ladies and gentlemen. More on that coming soon. Um, Yeah, I think I gotta go for Andrew, too. And if you look at his filmography, it's... Kind of this. Yep. It's this for a feature film. A lot of documentaries. Uh, not a whole lot else. So I guess he was never able to just kind of do. Maybe and maybe he didn't want to do other films. I I don't know. But him and Todd Browning really followed the same parallel paths: exploitative to begin, and then with Freaks and Todd Browning, yeah. and then this masterpiece in horror, and then that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. Pretty strange, huh? Yep. Maybe it took everything he had out of him. Yeah, it was just like it was so much for him to get this across the finish line and analytically and thematically it was just like it was really heavy for him but i don't know maybe he just like making documentaries more i mean that yeah. was maybe more his speed but you you look at his filmography and you're not going to find another film probably worth watching I, a lot of the beast isn't really worth watching either i mean that's not an enjoyable piece it's, no, no, it's, it's remarkable in its own way but i think it's you know if you want to test your limits absolutely watch and you can kind of see an interesting Mm-hmm. statement on slaughterhouses and and french culture and that and i think it's a nice because it's actually on the criterion dvd with this right. so it's a companion piece of sorts yep that's the one i have the slaughtering of animals and and faces right and skin like how we're treating things he had some stuff to say about you know bodies Let's be positive. Maybe mm-hmm. after making this film and Blood of the Beast, he got it all out of his system and he decided he wanted to hang out with his family. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Just, I'll open up a restaurant. And I won't drive when I'm drunk. Yeah. How are you going to write and grade Eyes Without a Face? So to remind any listeners, any jumping on to any of the podcasts here, we have, it's all based on whiskey. So we have Rock Cut, which is 
the worst of the worst. Uh, that's bad whiskey. That's bad cinema. We've had a lot of rocket ratings on this podcast. And you know what? When I think back to our very first episode, you said, oh, no, no, no. Maybe it was, I think it was Serenity. Mm. You, you, when you did your rating, you were very good, but you'd probably change your tune now. But you were like, I want to be very careful about the rating with Rocket. Those were your words. You're like, I want to use that when it needed. And like, you know, now when we use it, we're just like, yeah, that movie was trash. Freaking Rocket. Then you have Well, which when you go to a bar, a Well whiskey, it's not amazing, but you're going to get it a little on the cheap end. A three to four dollar Well drink mixed with some Coke might be pretty good, but it's palatable. Not going to blow your mind. Call whiskey is a little bit better. It's, you know, you know, your kind of maker's marks, you know, a little more high-end uh, label. Trying. It's trying to be good. And then you have single barrel, and we kind of equate that as, you know, a single barrel whiskey is a wholly unique experience. It's going to taste different than the other single barrel whiskey made by the exact same company, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, distilled longer. It's going to have different elements in it, and that kind of fits some of those films. They're unique into themselves. Right. Uh, and then we have Top Shelf, which is, you know, the Pappy Van Winkle. These are the whiskeys that are really hard to find, and they're really expensive if you do eventually find them. But it's also the premier top shelf cinema uh, that we find. Godfather 1 and 2 of recent episodes. Guess we're in a good space Mm because that's what I'm going to give this film. Yeah. I do think this is top shelf. There's a lot of production pieces that needed to happen and Frenju had to handle them expertly. Otherwise, as we stated, the movie doesn't get made. That's the first part. The second part is the execution. Can you then take a story that's as grim and dark and as censored as this one is and still make it compelling? And the answer is also yes. Uh, with, you know, today's violent slasher genre, a lot of the pieces that might be deal breakers for people, you can pay off with a little bit more blood and a more interesting kill. If you're going to call this a forefather to slasher horror, and frankly, I don't know how you couldn't, I think it's impressive that that happens. And what's mostly a dialogue film, where it succeeds is the dialogue is interesting and hidden enough that you can read some subtext into it so it gives your chance your mind a chance to wander and play but i think christian and that mask should not be um discarded here Mm -hmm. that is a huge piece of the interest level in this film and it's because you want that mask to move just a little bit so you recognize that there is some humanity underneath it because there is yeah think that's a a pretty good person under there until he ruins her um but it's just you just don't get it and you're just begging for either the reveal of what's under the mask or some human element to come through and that to me is ultimately the interesting piece that might carry you through what's reading subtitles for 15 minutes absolutely yeah top shelf for me i can't recommend this film higher to people to seek out and you know i'm a big fan and advocate for the criterion collection and just kind of seeking out what they have to offer. Cause that's a gateway into a lot of filmmakers that just don't get a lot of play on streaming services or in the cinemas. And that's where this film is and, and, and has, has a place in, um, I think we're going to talk a lot about, well, in our nightcap, we're going to play devil's advocate. And then I think next week we're going to have an interesting conversation about how foreign films are translated to American audiences. And if, Franju is doing something so expletive of French society and beauty and vanity. 
if this does get remade in the 60s, the 70s, stateside, something's going to get lost in there. And it's going to become about something else. And the core values that this film has that make it so terrifying are going to be lost. So you got to seek out the original. The original, read the subtitles. It's not hard to read, people. Um, unless you can't, which at, at that thing, just listen, just watch the visual images because this is a very visual film. The surgeries, the operations, the stocking, that jaunty little circus tune. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to you got to see this one. This is, I think, a must watch. If you're a horror fan and you haven't seen Eyes Without a Face, you got a notch missing in your horror belt. So agreed. Yeah, good job to you. To your you, rating. To, your to rating. that, let's wrap this up with our nightcap. Nice. Billy Forsong's idol. Yep. <laughs> Strange career there too. Really? Yeah. Okay, nightcap time. Yeah, yeah. You teased it out a little bit now, so I get I'm gonna let you recast this film contemporarily today. So I'm gonna give you the director and then the three main parts, Christian, Dr. G, and Lori. Mm-hmm. You can do each of them with whomever you want that we would consider a contemporary, and by that I'll mean relevant in the last decade. So the three roles and then the filmmaker, right? Yep. Ah, I love this. Again, playing... Uh, I'll the, even let you do um, production company if you want to put that in there too, because I know who I would choose on this. Yeah, A24. Okay, so we both agree <laughs> that. All right, done. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Excellent. I'll, I'll go with the cast. I actually think... I actually kind of want to see this movie oh. because, you know, it, it could be a contemporary American company-driven movie, but I think we could still do a foreign bent on it. Mm. So here's my cast. As Dr. Genesier, um, I want Javier Bardem. Nice. As Louise, I want Marion Cotillard. Mm-hmm. And then as Christiane, I want Ana de Armas. Tell me about Ana de Armas. Yeah. 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 So, no, no, it's just, she has that vibe. She kind of has that angelic look to her. Uh, can't wait to see what she's going to do in that Marilyn Monroe film, by the way. But uh, she just has that, like, sweet look. Absolutely beautiful, by the way. Um, but, like, her with the mask on like i could see her like putting on a pretty good performance behind that mask as well so i guess i'm going for a a hispanic french kind of foreign film with eyes without a face i love it yeah oh and director um yeah director sorry man it'd be really cool to see ari aster do something pretty horrific uh with this but i I might give this to brandon cronenberg actually Mm -hmm. yeah beautiful i love that yeah so we share one of the answers the same. I also chose Ana de Armas as Christian too. So I think she's supposed to play this role if we both agree. There's a lot of female actresses. And the fact that I chose her and not Blake Lively, yeah. ha ha ha, because I choose her for everything. She's like the one. right age for it. She's and, perfect for it. Yeah. Like that that brunette vibe. Yeah. She's perfect for mm-hmm. it. So that's Christian. For me, I want a vamp for Louise. I want vampy vampy. So... It's a little bit dated, and that's why I didn't go with Angelina Jolie. But you give me Angelina Jolie from about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. um, then I'm going to go there. But you that's not who I have now. So I'm going with Kelly Riley. Do you know who Kelly Riley is? Mm-hmm. Beth from Yellowstone. Yeah. She plays vamp like nobody. I think, I mean this now, that I think is the best written female character that I've maybe ever seen. And that includes mm-hmm. Scully. Yeah. 
she is amazing in Yellowstone and would be perfect because she can play bitch, she can play sweet, she can play dour, she can play sexy. Good choice. I think all those things work well for Louise. Awesome. Okay, for Dr. G, I'm going with Matthew Good. Mm. I think he's really good and I'm waiting. I don't know if you've seen a season of Witches, but he's really good in that too. No, but he's, I, I told you he's playing uh, Robert uh, Evans uh, on uh, the pr- producer on uh, the offer show about the making of the Godfather. Oh, perfect. And he's really good at it. I got to get into that show mm-hmm. soon. I think, I think he plays cool, stoic, handsome, arrogant, but not to the point where it becomes, um, Clive Owen. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so those are the three characters that I want to be played with contemporaries. And my director, it's been a while, but she Hasn't tackled horror in a period of time, but I want Catherine Bigelow to do this That'd film. Be pretty good, wouldn't it? I want to see what her take on beauty mm. through the eyes of a woman, ha ha ha, yeah. is and how it's perceived as men subjugate them to it. I think that could be very, very cool. That There's could. a lot of fertile ground for her to play with there. You know what? This project could also be a good restarting ground for Mr. David Fincher as well. Mm-hmm. Because Yep. I don't think we need to go into what the fuck Mank was. No. But it's been a while for him as well. And I think something yeah. in the horror, body-esque, psychological thriller would just, like, feed his niche. That's good, Jesse. Yeah. We've got, if A24, if we want to even do kind of a foreign version of A24, I guess we can go British and go, like, working title. Mm-hmm. But, um, boy, those pieces in place, and I think this movie could kill. It was a pretty good cast. Damn right. I mean, I don't, I don't. Again, watch the original four, and I don't need to see a lot of remakes unless they're mm-hmm. offering something new, but the, the this isn't bad. <laughs> I like it, too. This is pretty good. Well, that's a wrap on our first stop on the Passport to Horror, so Indiana Jones style. We're getting in our plane, and our little red dot is going to take us up north to Sweden. Mm. And Matt, do you want to cue us up on what we're going to be watching next week? The oft-mentioned yet never covered film will finally be dove into this week, and that is, everybody knows that listens to the show, uh, number one-ish realm for me, so there won't be any secret where I am next week on this, but it's Let the Right One In. I can't wait to talk about this film. And I also can't wait, as you said earlier, to compare it to what the fuck they did with the American version. Mm -hmm. We're not doing the American version, which is Let Me In. Mm -hmm. We're doing the original Swedish version. Which is Matt Reeves, who did the new Batman. How about that? Yeah. This movie is so much fun to talk about and so loaded. Uh, We also have a special guest with us next week, too, so that'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a first-timer for him, and it's not Mark. So got a brand-new voice on the show with us next week. But uh, thoughts early as we head into this? I can't wait. Uh, I've seen this film a couple times. I've been, you know, it, have a lot of interesting things to to say about it. You know, the Swedish horror angle, I think, is is really interesting. And there's a few films from that particular country that have leaned into that in a variety of different ways. And there's also a lot of, like, a Swedish crime uh, novels. Joe Nespo is an author on kind of fond of he did one that a film that should have slayed the snowman mm-hmm. with mr fassbender and jk simmons and no 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 that was a uh, rebecca ferguson <laughs> and that movie is a train wreck but the writing the novels are actually really really good so mm. this particular country i think you know has a lot to offer in terms of true crime and horror and and we got a jaunty little vampire uh flick here 
um, the likes of which has never really been done before. Mm-mm. You know, Interview with the Vampire toys the lines with the young vampire thing, but not with two two characters, right? Not right. like this. That really aren't that young. I can't wait to talk about it. I looked it up ahead of time. It's currently streaming on Amazon Prime. So oh, sweet. If you subscribe to that, you can check it out. Um, this is going to be a lot of fun. I can't, I can't wait to get into this. Uh, yeah, I can't wait either. There's going to be some moments that uh, I can't wait to revisit again. And I might try and burn Let Me In also. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, I have. It's just so we can kind of compare. Both. Okay, I'll do it too then. A little bit. Yeah. But cheers to you. Cheers to you. We got to get going. We got to get through TSA. Uh, we got to get moving on to Sweden. But I think you and I are going to make a little stop in London because this week they're doing a little Taylor Hawkins tribute concert. And I think you and I would like to check that out. Front row, baby. Yeah. So cheers to that. RIP, Taylor. RIP. We'll see you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Eyes Without a Face is property of Lux Film and Champs Elysees Productions. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. <laughs>